Unlock the past and safeguard your memories with ScanMyPhotos.com. Here's our special promo code, GoDigital, to get a whopping up to 50% off your photo scanning order. Don't let your cherished moments fade away. Digitize them now with precision and care. Whether it's old slides, photos, or films, bring them into the digital age and relive those precious memories. This is an affiliate promotion, meaning we may earn a commission if you take advantage of this fantastic deal. Act fast, preserve your history, and save big with Go Digital at ScanMyPhotos.com. Hi, I'm Maureen Taylor, the photo detective. I really love family photographs, all of them. From the mystery images you find in shoeboxes and albums, to the pictures you snap with your digital devices. No mystery is too small. A simple question about an image can lead to new stories of your ancestors. This means you can count on me to help you identify the people in them, offer solutions for preserving and organizing them, and yes, even guide you in the various ways to gather and share picture stories with your relatives. My guest today is Heather Radke, and Heather is the author of a fairly new book called Butts, A Backstory. And you're probably wondering what it is about, and it is about women and fashion and things like that. And you'll know more. Heather, tell us something about yourself, and let's talk about why you wrote this book. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So I'm a writer and I also work for the WNYC radio show Radio Lab. And I was also a curator at a historic house museum for a lot of years. So I have a lot of interest in visual imagery and art and sort of physical artifacts also. And as to why I wrote this book, I mean, there's so many ways to answer that question. I think I it started as an essay that was about my own relationship with my own butt. And it pretty quickly evolved from there because I realized how much there really was to tell in the history of women's butts, but really in the history of how we represent women's butts and how fashion has used women's butts for various purposes and kind of like what butts actually mean. I read a New York Times book review of your book. And immediately had to have it because you have this whole section on something that people ask me about all the time, which is the bustle. Mm -hmm. And the bustle is this, I hope it never, ever comes back because it looks ridiculous in the 19th century. I can't even imagine it today. And you talk, you have a whole chapter about maybe the historical origins of the bustle, which I have always tried to, you know, get to, but also the other types of fashion things that we do. I mean, we have crinolines and we have those 18th century panniers, panniers, is that how you pronounce it? Those big, big skirts that, you know, extended six feet out. So it's interesting. So in your book, you talk about this woman, Sarah, Uh, Yeah, yeah, Bateman, which is really interesting to me 
But also you visited the V&A, the Victoria and Albert Museum, which is the preeminent fashion museum in the in the world. Let's talk about that a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I too was super interested in the bustle. I mean, that was it was really one of the very first things I researched when I did this book, and and I it was before I even knew it was a book, and it was one of the ways I realized it would be a book because there was so much there. Because yeah, like you know, I like I said, I worked at a historic house museum, and I knew a lot about the 19th century, and of course, like any. I mean, like most people, I think I knew the basics of 19th century women's fashion, but there is this one part of women's fashion in the 19th century, the bustle, which you see a lot represented in period movies, but people don't actually talk about it as much as maybe the the crinoline or the like the layers of petticoats and certainly not the corset, which is sort of everybody's favorite 19th century undergarment to talk about. So I was just like, well, what is this thing? Like, what a weird thing. Because what it looks like, if you're not familiar, is basically it's like a big fake butt that you stick on the back of your body. And there's not as much scholarship about it by kind of a lot. In fact, I hope that there's, I hope there's more soon. <laughs> because, and so I, I started to look into, you know, what is, what is the bustle? Why did, why did it exist? What did it mean? And I, I talked to, like you said, I went to the VNA in London and I looked at a bunch of bustles, which are really interesting. Like it just, even, even as material, as material culture, you know, there's bustles that were kind of like accordioned, like, a yeah, like, a, like it was just as steel was being used for this type of thing where, yeah, it's like a little metal accordion that was supposed to kind of get together and then unget together when you stood up or, Poor women used newspapers and stuffed it in their undergarments, basically. And there's also kind of pillow ones and ones that were kind of made with springs. So there was all kinds of different ways that women were making their butt look bigger. And it was a pretty widespread fashion. So like what was going on? And while there there's a lot of different theories, the, there was there was one theory I was especially interested in, which had to do with, as you were saying, Sarah Bartman, who's a woman who was brought up from... South Africa in the beginning of the 19th century, she had a large butt and she was displayed in Piccadilly, which was sort of like the center of freak shows in London. And she was displayed as a freak show and people paid to come and see her. I mean, she wasn't completely naked, but she was more or less naked and to sort of ogle at her and they could pay more to touch her. It was it was quite gruesome and grotesque and horrible and racist. And then, and then there was a big trial, a kind of famous trial about Sarah Bartman, about whether or not she was enslaved, because this was at a time when the slave trade had been outlawed in London, and her the circumstances of her being brought to the UK were, and still are, kind of contested. But eventually she ended up in Paris, where she died, and she was dissected by a very famous French scientist named George Cuvier. And that autopsy report was used by Cuvier and many other scientists in the 19th century as evidence for the idea that Black people were not fully human, and that specifically that Black women were more were more sexual than white women. So there's a lot of stereotypes about women with big butts, and you can trace them back to this. I mean, they existed before that aut- autopsy report, but that's sort of like the that's a lot the evidence that a lot of people used for at least a century. And she, you know, the other thing about Sarah Bartman was it was a, she was very popular. Like it was a very popular form of entertainment. She was depicted in lots and lots of newspapers. Like it's a famous image many people have probably seen. Right, exactly. So the image is out there. It's available. You know, they're advertising her. Probably there are broadsides. 
Totally. Yeah. They're all over there. London, pasted all over London, plus then in Paris. And, yeah. And I think you said even playing cards. Yep. Had yep. her image on it. And then, so she dies, what, not 1815? Yep. About that. Yep. Which is the era of, you know, it's somewhat androgynous looking clothing mm-hmm. at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Time. Yeah. Like the Regency era. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden, it it feels like, you know, 60 years later, we have the bustle. Now, of course, before that, we have multiple petticoats and we have the crinolines, which are like little cage things that mm-hmm. women wore to make their, you know, their skirts larger. And it was fascinating to me. And I've asked other costume historians about this. Like, what, what are the origins of the bustle? Yeah. What did they tell you? I'm so curious. <laughs> <laughs> they said that there is no, they don't know. No one knows. Yeah. But yeah. it seems pretty clear when I read your research. And I looked online at the images of her that somehow, and it's 60 years between her death and bustles, that I guess there's this thing with imaging, right? Where you see it and see it and see it and it becomes part of you, but you're not necessarily aware of the origins of what you're coming up with. So it is quite possible that people developing the bustle knew about her, knew about Sarah, but weren't consciously aware that they had seen this. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, you're never going to find a smoking gun kind of like, nobody's going to write a piece that's like, I designed the bustle based on Sarah Bartman's body, right? Like, and I think a lot of people want that kind of answer to a question like this, but that's not how, like you say, that's not how images work. That's not how objects work. And it's not really how fashion works, but I think what we can say is that throughout the 19th century, well after Bartman's death, there were images of her that were very, very popular, including at the Paris World Fair, which happened right before the bustle became popular. Because her body had been, after she was dissected by Cuvier, her body was put on display in in his museum, the Natural History Museum in Paris. And throughout the 19th, and it, I will just say, I think it's important to say that it stayed on display in Paris museums until the 1970s. So that was very, no. yeah. And in fact, it was, it was brought out of the back rooms at the Musée d'Orsay and was put on display again in the 1990s. So there's a real history of, you know, exhibition of her body and her image in the 19th century would have been maybe not known to everybody, but was well known. And I think like you're saying, I would imagine it's the kind of image that had enough kind of reach to enough different classes of audience that both the idea of her as like a big butted black woman and that specific set of images where you really see the silhouette that you see again with the bustle, they were, it was def- it, I, I to, to my mind, at least it feels like you can't, it's hard to deny that there must have been some kind of unconscious, at least, connection between those two things. And I mean, of course, it's not the only thing going out the bustle. There's interesting stuff about, you know, why dressmakers wanted this very fancy kind of garment at this time. You know, the development of the sewing mach- home sewing machine makes it so that dressmakers kind of want to show that they can do something more than you can do at home. And so the the skirt you wore over a bustle was like, almost it's almost ridiculously ornate you know a lot of people describe it including me as looking like a couch or a sofa like it has a lot of it's called the, upholster- and- the upholstered look <laughs> yeah exactly and it 
is not a great look. Like that's we should hope that doesn't come back either. So there's other things besides the Bartman connection, but I think the Bartman connection is really interesting. And I also think it's interesting how much so many people want to deny that it's there. Because I think what's hard to admit is that there's like a form of cultural appropriation going on. There's a form of frankly, just straight racism that's in there too, because those images are very disturbing to the like to anybody living today. The idea that you would use that as a kind of template for a, a, a fashion feels very disturbing, I think. But you definitely see it throughout the the documentation that there's, I'm not the first person who thought of it. Lots of, you see throughout the 20th century, fashion historians kind of wonder about it too. Yeah, I mean, because women in the 70s and 80s, 1870s and 80s, are posing in profile. They're posing in a way to show off the bustle, which, of course, had many iterations, you know, from the early periods where it's just a tiny little thing to larger. And it it seems like this this is something women are pointing to and saying, look at me, I'm so fashionable and I've got this upholstered look. But if you look at the pictures of Bartman or the illustrations of her, she, she's mostly posed in profile. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're trying to show that she has a specific type of butt, which they have, like which these so-called scientists and anthropologists and explorers have for a, a century been linking to this stereotype of Black women. So and there's something really kind of jarring about seeing like the same profile image, but one is this like almost overly clothed woman who's like, you know, covered from her chin to her ankle. And then the other one is this essentially this nude woman who's being displayed as as an artifact almost of colonialism and empire. Yeah, that's horrible. Let's talk about what you found at the Victorian Albert Museum, the different kinds of bustles, because I'm not sure... I certainly didn't know about the newspapers. Yeah, the newspapers actually, like, that's the kind of thing you don't see at the Victorian Albert, right? Like, they don't save the newspapers. I, that was something I read in a couple of different places. And I think it's very, it's super interesting because it also shows that there's like a, it crossed classes, which I think is important when we talk about fashion and dress, because there's a way that the fashion that's easiest to see and find is the kind of, you know, the richer, the wealthier people's fashion. But there were mentions at the time in the 19th in the you know 1870s and 80s of people using the london times in particular to stuff there but it's funny because you know i've i've read about that but then i talked to this woman edwina earlham who's the she's kind of a historian of a bunch of different kinds of dress at the vna but she specifically had done an exhibition on underwear and women didn't really wear underwear at that time so i don't actually know where they stuffed the newspapers like I don't know how they kept them in their skirts but maybe they sewed them in or something yeah so there was that kind then there's the like I said there's the bustles that are made with like they're kind of made with springs like they almost look like you know the bottom of a bicycle seat like how there's those little springs on there then there's ones that are made with big pillows so they're kind of look like lobed pillows then there's ones that are like an accordion that opens and shuts when you, when you sit down and stand up Although I can't, they, they can't possibly have actually done that. You would have had to sort of pull on them when you, when you stood up, you know, set, stood up again. Yeah. And those were kind of the main ones. And so I went to the VNA and I was, you know, they were so, I have to say they were so kind to let me do this because I actually tried to do this in New York and nobody would let me do it at the Met. <laughs> so I had to fly to London, but I, 
I, yeah, I got to see all these different bustles and all the, a bunch of different dresses that went over the bustles. And those were the kind of dresses we were talking about where they're very ornate and kind of upholstered and lots of different fancy finishes. And, and then, it, but oh, it, se- it seems to me that if you are, well, maybe these women had the young, the less wealthy women had pockets that they had on the inside of their dresses. Although mm-hmm. those, if that's true, I, I don't know where those remnants where they are. Were. Right, yeah, right. Right. Cause we're really only left with the, the rich history. Yeah, of, totally. Of clothing. That's what's left. Uh, but it, it appears to me that women must have needed assistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mean to like get it all on? To get it on. To yeah. Get dressed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I don't know how you would do it otherwise. I mean, that's why in all those images, you see somebody tightening the corsets, you know, I, and so I suppose you needed, I mean, I, but th- that said, corsets and bus, I mean, most of these clothes, all women wore some version of it, you know, to not wear a corset, I, as far as I understand, was not considered polite, you know, and there weren't bras in the same way until the, tw- until the 1920s. So I don't know what people, maybe their sisters and other women in their families helped them get dressed. I don't actually know. I don't know. It just appears. And then I can't even imagine sometimes I think about these, you know, these images I have, and I think about the size of the bustle and I think, what does it feel like to walk with that? I do not know. It, it I must mean, move with you or, or it moves independent of you. Or, I mean, it just, it's, it's like the first time I saw and, one of these historical dramas, which you say you've seen them all, yeah, where a yeah, woman yeah. comes down the stairs in a, you know, like a hoop skirt and she sort right. of floats down the stairs. That's different as well. But then we get to the 20th century and you mention Paul Perot and you mentioned Coco Chanel mm-hmm. as changing the silhouette of women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, kind of famously, right? Like Paul Perot, he's, He's like anti-corset. He hates the bustle. He's he finds it, you know, I think he he thinks it's all very I mean, it probably did seem very old-fashioned by that point. And he's he is making this radical shift away from these 19th century garments that us essentially were creating a, a sort of exoskeleton that was underneath the clothes. Like it shaped the body with these underwear. And then Coco Chanel sort of takes this even further and, you know, discards because Perot, you know, there's still a little bit of shape, but very minimal. And then you see in Coco Chanel, these very, very straight lines. I mean, what, what some fashion historians call the rectangle woman. So the ideal body becomes a woman with no curves of any kind almost. And, you know, of course, the obvious thing to say about that is like, <laughs> There's very few women whose bodies are like that. And especially when you take away the core, you know, you take away these undergarments that are shaping the body. Most women then are no longer fitting the body ideal. And there's a really important fashion historian, Valerie Steele, who talks about how the corset, you know, when they got rid of the corset, or it wasn't just this sort of moment of liberation. It was actually this, this new moment of restriction where, you know, she talks about the corset coming inside the body where all of a sudden women become responsible for maintaining their bodies through diet and exercise instead of using these garments, which, you know, it's, I always feel like it's sort of easy to laugh at or just sort of be like, Oh my God, what, what a mess that was when they wore all those crazy undergarments. But 
the thing was that probably more people could sort of fit the ideal shape of the time with those garments because they they were actually doing the work of shaping the body then now when the when we're all sort of meant to be responsible for creating the silhouettes that are you know in fashion so to speak so that's that changes in the 19 between like 1914 and 1930 basically and and, and some people say and i think this, there's something to be said about it it's never really gone back you know there's moments where big shoulders are in or big breasts are in or big butts are in but there's still this kind of fundamentally rectangle shaped thin thin body that is the one that we deem correct and beautiful yeah i mean think about pencil skirts yeah exactly exactly yeah i walk i mean in there's a pencil skirt. it's not really possible and yeah. i will say you know i think sometimes people think of that I, that moment as liberation but paul perot was not a man interested in women's liberation he invented this thing called the hobble skirt which was like made it so you could barely even walk he just didn't like corsets basically so i guess that there's that but then um, but then there is those big skirts on the what's it 1950s so the mm-hmm. 1950s big poodle skirts and big skirts come back you know totally so yeah like definitely like d- different types of skirts come back but the, the way the regulation of the actual body is it always stays thin, you know, it's, it never, it's, it's like when we get rid of the corset and the bustle, it's not like, okay, cool. Like we're all free now, or, you know, you can have that big skirt and like your, your middle, like you can have like a big belly or something. It's like, no, you can have the big skirt, but you still better have a slim line down in, in your torso, you know, shapewear. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the, <laughs> then that's, that becomes I mean, sort of the nouveau corset, right? Is the, right, the new the corset. The shapewear. Yeah. Right, which for some women is pretty extensive shapewear. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it never, it, what didn't end up in the book, but I, I talked to this woman who runs a kind of famous lingerie shop in New York. She she does a lot of stuff for Broadway. And we looked at all the different shapewear and girdles. She showed me these old-fashioned girdles and, you know, just the history of the ways that women have tried to conform their bodies so that they can fit into... The clothes that, you know, we all want to wear. And I, I think you were mentioning before, there's like a lot of women now wear two or three, you know, pairs of Spanx or different kinds of shapewear, especially when they're getting married. Because this this woman, she does a lot of shapewear for women who are figuring out their wedding dresses. And it just, it's just horrible. It's just a different kind of constriction. Right? Yeah, definitely. It's the same. It absolutely it's is. just yeah. looks different. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Working on something new? I am starting to work on something new. It's kind of, it's not quite in the bus world, although I do think they're very related. It's about, it's a kind of about everydayness. And actually, it's in this way, it's related to, to fashion. I'm, I'm interested in the things that we kind of overlook in our daily lives that we don't think to take seriously, but that actually carry a lot of meaning. So I'm not quite sure what the project's going to look like in the end, but I'm doing a hopefully I'm going to do a show about it for Radiolab and I'm starting to do a lot of reporting on things like early snapshots and like the Dutch masters who were the first West, like the first major movement in Western art to depict Mm. ordinary life as opposed to sort of extraordinary life. So all these different kinds of things that like, when do we turn to the ordinary and what do we lose by not always being so interested in daily life. I'm completely fascinated with that topic because it's what it's history. It's the, it's 
how we live our lives and not everything gets moved forward. So when people look back at the past, they're missing the everydayness. Totally. And I love the everydayness. I mean, it's why I love working at the historic house museum. And I, it's, I think it's also a very gendered interest. You know what I mean? I just had a baby and I'm like, my life is sort of relentlessly ordinary, but I, you know, it's also just like the stuff of what life is ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the stuff that gets missing when history yeah, is told. Totally. So yeah. if you haven't, you should probably talk with Kim Beal of Good Pictures. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. You know I was actually just, I don't know her, but I was just this morning trying to find somebody to talk to about those early snapshots. Because I was well, like, she's I, got know, all kinds of stuff in here about what ordinary people were photographing. Okay, that's great. Because I was so interested to to learn in 18, I didn't realize that, like, you know, those those early Kodak cameras were so, it was 1888 when they first came on the scene. I was like, that's earlier than I thought. And I was like, what did those people want to take pictures of? I'm so curious. So they that's great. They want to take pictures of their everyday life. I know, because that's what we all want to take pictures right. of. Right, apart from going to the studio and being dressed up. Right. So right, that's totally. great. So Kim Beale was on the podcast a while ago. I think she's on at 20. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. No, I'll look her up. That's great. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. What is Radio Lab for anyone that doesn't know? Oh, it? sorry. Radio Lab is a it's a show that it's a show out of WNYC, a podcast and radio show. It airs nationally and internationally on NPR stations. And we do all kinds of stuff. We do, you know, for a long time people thought of it as a science show, and we still do a lot of science stuff, but I think I think we talk about it like it's like we're in the business of wonder. So anything that kind of kind of helps us to think in a new way about something or a surprising story of from the past. We've done a lot of work about legal stories in the Supreme Court and but still a lot of science stories. Quirky and serious. Yeah, quirky and serious and also like generally kind of narrative. So, yeah. Well, Heather, thank you so much for being on The Photo Detective. Oh my goodness. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. I can't wait to see what you work on next. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media. Leave me a rating and a review. And if you know of a friend or family member who's also interested in family photographs, share this episode with them too. See you next time. I'm thrilled to be offering something new. Photo Investigations. These collaborative one-on-one sessions look at your family photos. You and I meet to discuss your mystery images and find out how each clue and hint might contribute to your family history. And trust me, these images can reveal so much in your research. I have decades of experience in the photo, genealogy, and history industries. This is your chance to learn from me and discover the stories in your family images. You can find out more by going to MaureenTaylor.com and clicking on Family Photo Investigations.